This is All the Cool Parts number 25 for May 23rd, 2011. Everybody. Welcome to All the Cool Parts number 25. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman. This week on All the Cool Parts, it is our fourth in our Laureate series that I'm doing with our good friend and co-host, Dr. Jonathan Culp. This week, we're doing CD of classical guitarist Thomas Villato. Before we get into everything with John and getting to listening uh, to the excerpts, I wanted to talk a little bit about our featured performer, Thomas Villateau. And like all the other uh, episodes of the Laureate series, I'm going to read his bio. And just to recap really quickly, the Laureate series CDs are a series put out by the Naxos label. And they feature young up-and-coming performers who have recently won some kind of performance-based competition. And usually part of the prize for winning that competition is recording one of these laureate CDs. And uh, Thomas won the Guitar Foundation of America International Guitar Competition in 2006. And of course, uh, part of his prize is recording this CD. And they, of course... uh, give these artists pretty much complete creative control. I mean, they can record exactly what they want, whatever pieces they want, uh, which is really awesome. I mean, Naxos could easily tell these players, you know, we want you to to record a box CD or CD of this person's music that, you know, we need to fill up our catalog or whatever, but they they give them complete freedom. And uh, as a result, a lot of these CDs feature... Pieces that aren't so widely performed. They feature composers that aren't so widely known. And uh, it's given opportunity not just to these performers, but to a lot of composers as well, up and coming. So let me read you Thomas's bio from his website. At um, His website is just thomasvillateau.com, and you spell his last name V-I-L-O-T-E-A-U. Um, so Thomas Villateau is considered one of the most gifted classical guitarists of the younger generation and not without reason. His first concert was in his home country of France only a year after he began his studies in front of an audience of 200 people. Since that concert, Thomas has played in some of the best venues throughout the United States of America, Canada, Mexico, Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, Spain, Norway, Great Britain, Taiwan, and Puerto Rico. Born into a family of fine arts enthusiasts, Uh, Thomas took his first lesson at the age of 12. Although a late start for an internationally recognized musician, inspired by listening to Naxos recordings of other prominent classical musicians, Thomas decided at the outset of his career that he wanted to record such a CD as well. 
Eager to learn as much as he could about his instrument, he immediately went on to study at an international level, moving from Barcelona, that's where he was born uh, in 1985, uh, to Paris, uh, and then to San Francisco. Um, He learned from leading guitar professors, such as Alvaro Pieri, Alberto Ponce, which, um, incidentally, Alberto Ponce was the teacher of Leo Brower as well, one of our uh, one of the composers on this disc that we're going to talk about. Uh, Judy Kyle Poroy, who's another GFA winner, and he also has a Laureate CD that I'm sure we'll probably do at some point. Roland Dienz, which is a composer of one of the pieces on this CD, and Mark Teicholtz. Um, equally as talented as a performer, Thomas has also proven his versatile abilities as a competitor. That's for sure. Thomas has placed in numerous international competitions, taking first prize in the Segovia competition, Matola competition, Via de Antony competition, Cernantel, uh, I'm not saying that right, I, <laughs> competition in Portugal. And in 2006, only nine years after he started playing, the renowned Guitar Foundation of America International competition uh, which has allowed him to record his first CD with Naxos. And that is pretty incredible. Um, to be playing at this level after only playing nine years, um, that's amazing. Uh, always willing to push his passion for classical guitar further, Thomas has recently finished writing a book about the modern advanced techniques of the classical guitar. Based on his own experiments, thoughts, and those of his teachers and contemporaries, uh, Thomas has created a tool in helping others get to a point that he was able to accelerate to so quickly. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's an amazing bio. Um, again, really amazing that he could play at this level. This is um, one of the best classical guitar CDs I've heard, period. Uh, and I'll talk, you know, we'll, John and I will talk all about that um, in uh, our segment where we're talking about the music. And so... Really, without further ado, let's just get right on to the music with myself and Dr. Jonathan Culp. Okay, so we're back here with Dr. Jonathan Culp for another Laureate Series show, this time on French guitarist Thomas Villateau. And uh, he was, uh, which winner was he, 2006? 2006. Yeah. Um a fantastic CD. I agree. Uh, yeah, I'd never heard this one. Um, you know, we're getting into territory now that we've done a few of these that uh, of you know having to do CDs that I've never heard and are not familiar with. So this one, I just purely went on um, the repertoire that he played. I thought the CD looked interesting. I thought the pieces pieces on the CD looked interesting. And, uh, of course I expected a great CD because all these players are great players and all these CDs are great CDs, but man, this is, this is a really outstanding. It's excellent. And, uh, there are a couple of pieces on there that I had never heard before. And so I was glad to hear them. And, um, I had never actually heard of this guitarist. I I don't pay really close attention every year to see who wins the GFA. Yeah, same here. And. So, uh, you know, I, there a couple of years go by and I don't really know who has won it. And so um, it's it's a nice way to kind of catch up on that, looking at these CDs. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, back when we were 
students, you know, and you're studying guitar, I think you're a lot more in tune with this, you know, what's going mm-hmm. on year to year and who's winning. And, you know, when you're not in school anymore and um, you kind of lose touch. But uh, this is a great way to stay in touch, I guess, with um, the guitarists that are winning. And uh, you mentioned you had not heard a couple of these pieces before. And that's one of the reasons why I chose this CD that were the pieces by Leo Brower and Roland Deans, um, both super famous uh, classical guitar composers. Um, and, you know, both composers that, I mean, I've personally have played many pieces of both of these composers and I had never even heard of either one of these pieces. Right, I haven't either. I've never played Dienz, but I've heard a lot of Dienz. And uh, he came here and played a couple of years ago. And uh, he did not play this piece, but he he was a very nice guy. Um, Our guitar professor and I went out to dinner with Dienz when he was here, and that was kind of a cool cool experience. So how was his concert? You know, I keep keep reading that in Roland Dienz concerts, uh, and maybe we should save most of this for when we talk about his piece but um mm-hmm. he, he usually starts off the concert with an improvised piece yes i believe he did that here yeah. and it, it was good you know he he plays well he he plays very quietly my um biggest problem with the concert was being able to hear him adequately and i don't know if it was it's Partly our concert hall is not that great but also he plays pretty quietly compared to a lot of you know, like these young guys winning these competitions right now. Are, yeah. I mean, they, they play these big, loud guitars, and they really get a lot of sound out of them. Yeah, I mean, um, I saw or I found some videos on YouTube of Thomas Villateau. Uh There are some out there, and they're pretty good mm-hmm. videos. And you can really see, um, and I'll post these in the show notes too, these videos, but or not all of them, but at least one of them. Uh, and there's a video of him playing the Brower and uh, some other pieces. Uh, and it's just so cool to watch Thomas play. I mean, he's not um, the most uh, visually dynamic player. I mean, he, he pretty much, you know, just sits there and he's he's very still when he mm-hmm. plays. But he he's one of these players that just makes everything look so stupidly easy. Um, <laughs> Hate them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching him and I'm like, you know, I know I would have just a bitch of a time playing what I'm watching right now. And he's just making it look, you know, so, uh, so, so easy. But, um, but really cool videos to watch, you know, watch him play a lot of this stuff. You know, there's so many, um, uh, I don't know, sort of extended techniques in these pieces. Mm -hmm. A lot of these pieces, um, and you know we'll talk about that when we get into the pieces, but it's just cool to to watch him physically do these things um, instead of just you know hearing it because seeing it adds you know just a whole other level to these pieces. Um, yeah. So yeah, I haven't seen them yet, so I'll have to click in the show notes and uh, watch the video later. <laughs> cool, cool. Well. Um, We'll, uh, I'll definitely ask you about your uh, dinner with Dean's when we get to that. But Okay. Uh, let's start with the first excerpt on the CD uh, that we pulled. This is an excerpt that I pulled, and that uh, we both pulled excerpts from the first track, this uh, track of Miguel Yobe Soles. Um, 
and uh, this variations on the theme of Fernando Sor. I wanted to ask you about this because uh, I wasn't familiar with this piece um, before I heard it on this CD. Me neither. And, uh, yeah, so I'm thinking, hmm, you know, what what theme of Fernando Sor did he pull? I mean, am I on crack or is this just La Folia de España? That's what it is. I mean, that I thought I recognized it as that, but then it says a theme of Sor, and I said, wait a sec, I know Sor did variations on that theme, but that's not his theme. Right. But according to the notes on the CD there, it says that he takes like the first couple of variations or something from the Sor Folias de España. So I guess that's what it's essentially, I guess, variations on Sor's version of Folias de España. Okay. Yeah. So um, Folias de España or La Folia de España, whatever you want to call it. um, This is a theme that has been treated to variations by I don't know how many composers over hundreds of years many uh, yeah um, I don't know can you think of any one one famous one I can including think of me is the, the Vivaldi and you did it right um, yeah for the uh, the Rose Tree Follies piece right that's right yeah, yeah for La Folia Austin Baroque right right and, uh, Giuliani did one and uh, it seems like a handle did a set of variations on this. I mean, lots and lots of really famous composers for centuries have done variations on Folias de España. Yeah. You know, even even in my youth, before, you know, I was into classical music, before I went to music school, when I was playing in a heavy metal band in Houston, one of the songs I wrote for the band used La Folia de España. That is awesome. <laughs> in it. You've got to splice that into the show. I don't somehow. even know if I have You've a recording record it. of it. I, I know I have a... There's an old video of us that I have, but I don't think I have, you know, an actual audio recording of it. And I, w- I, I wouldn't show it to anyone anyway. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, this is a very, very famous theme. It makes me wonder uh, why Yobe didn't just call it what it was, a variations on La Folia, or it makes me wonder if he knew. I don't know. How could he not know? I don't know. But That's... I, well, that's yeah. the question I have. I mean, it seems impossible that he would not know what the tune comes from. But I, I, I really don't know. I don't know how to account for that. Yeah. But it, it's a terrific piece. And I really didn't know that Miguel Yubet had that in him. I've heard a couple of other things of his before, and they've never really struck me as anything that interesting. Mm-hmm. But this piece is incredible. Yeah, dude, I I totally agree. Um, you know, I picked this first excerpt uh, to sort of get us into it before mm-hmm. we get into the excerpt that you pulled, um, the excerpt that you beat me to. Um, Duh, <laughs> and uh, this first uh, excerpt um, is just a couple of the variations, you know, um, as it's getting into the piece, as the piece is, you know, starting to roll along and uh, the first variation we're going to hear is uh, incorporates kind of a tremolo technique uh, not a full tremolo technique but sort of a tremolo technique um, in it and uh, in this example we can hear the first instance of Villato's just amazing harmonics Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he possibly has the best harmonics I've ever heard I'm I just, agree I'm, with that. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, I'm going to throw it down. 
They're um, so clear. They're so audible. I mean, it's hard yeah. to make a lot of these harmonics clear, especially the natural harmonics that are not on, say, the twelfth fret yes. or the seventh fret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those end up sounding like uh, thumps with like barely discernible pitch a lot of times. But man, he makes them sound perfect. Yeah, yeah, they're perfect. And a lot of times, even someone with really good harmonics, you know, a lot of times they'll sound very bell-like or something. These harmonics just sing. Yeah. Uh, and you're you're right. They're always right on, and they all just just sing out loud, you know. Um, so we'll hear that, the first example of that. And then after uh, this variation, it goes into a sort of fast, dazzling, virtuosic arpeggio <coughs> variation. Um, you know, almost something that you'd hear in a, a Paganini Caprice or something. Mm. Um, so, uh, anything you want to say about this one before we play it? Let's just hear it. All right, let's let's check it out. This is the first excerpt of Miguel Yobe. Uh, Miguel Yobe's variations on the theme of Fernando Sor, Opus Fifteen. Okay, so that was our first excerpt from Yobe's Variations on the Theme of Fernando Sor, and we're going to move on to the next excerpt, this one John pulled, and this is from uh, the end of the piece, and we get to hear, I'm going to mostly let you take this, John, but we're going to hear just this um, amazing progression of virtuosity here. So. Yeah, this is a, an amazing finale. It's um, the last four variations, I guess. And the first one has some super fast slurs that are articulated. You know, the the right hand plucks the strings. I and I mention that because the third variation that we're going to hear in this excerpt uh, has slurs with no right hand at all. It's all left hand, just doing hammer on and pull off, and it's amazing by itself but what what amazes me about this first variation with the slurs is that his slurs are so even like rhythmically they're very even and that's not that easy to do when you're going that fast and doing all these hammer-ons um often they end up sounding kind of uh, galloping instead of uh, in a nice even way mm-hmm. so then there's a har- harmonics variation which is beautiful and then the all left hand one which is incredible. It's you'll hear that it's quieter and it it has a it, it has a different sort of uh, sound to it. I mean, I knew immediately when I heard it that that was left hand only. If if you haven't been that familiar with guitar, you might not realize at first that he's not plucking anything with the right hand. He's just doing everything with slurs and uh, with with hammer-ons and pull-offs. It's hard to get, especially 
well, it, it's hard to articulate every single note that way. I mean, uh, because there's always a tendency not to hammer hard enough or to pull off in a sloppy way and make a note inaudible. But his is very, very clear. Yeah, I mean, uh, I could tell right away, too, that this is um, nothing but left hand. And this is something I don't think I've ever seen a classical guitar do or classical guitarist do in concert. I mean, I've seen it, obviously, in... Um, Huh. you know, Steve Vai or something, but right. Heavy metal guitarists do yeah. that kind of thing a lot, but it's a lot easier on an electric guitar because the action is very low. The strings are much lighter weight. Um, and, and it's amplified of course. So no matter what you do, people are going to hear, it. but it, it's very hard to pull this kind of thing off on a classical guitar, uh, live, I would think because it's, it's so quiet. Yeah. And then the last variation is might be the most impressive to me. And uh, you might have noticed in my notes to you that I emailed, I, I described this variation by saying, big chord, high diddle diddle dum, low diddle diddle do, <laughs> harmonics. <laughs> so it's like this, um, and then, then these little harmonics. And uh, what impresses me about this is it's all very fast. And each of those little things requires like, a different sort of technique. I mean, it's not really a different technique, but, you know, a different attitude of the hand in relationship to the strings to make it work right. And the harmonics, of course, you're very quickly shifting from one technique to another. And uh, it takes amazing dexterity and accuracy to pull this kind of thing off. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, let's check it out. The very end of Miguel Yobe's Variations on the Theme of Fernando Sor. Thank you. 
Okay, so excerpt number three from Alexander Tansman. Um, the first excerpt we're going to play is from his Cavatina, the second movement, Saraband. And uh, before we do that, just a little background on Tansman. Um, he was born June 12th, 1897 in Poland and died November 15th, 1986 in Paris. And Tansman was kind of an interesting dude. I'd never really read anything about him. Uh, but a couple interesting things I found out about him. Um, when he was in Paris, Mio, uh, Darius Mio, apparently tried to get him to join Lacis at one point, hmm. but he declined. Um, I don't know, maybe that might have been a, a mistake on his part as far as posterity, but uh, Lacis, if people don't know, is was a sort of consortium of composers in Paris in the early 20th century. Uh, two of the more famous members would have been Darius Mio and Francis Poulenc. Uh, so he turned Mio down for some reason. Um, in uh, 1941, um, he being Jewish, uh, he fled Europe to Los Angeles with the help of his friend Charlie Chaplin who got him a visa. Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And uh, he went on to score uh, several films when he was living in L.A. and was actually nominated for an Academy Award in 1946. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, he apparently wrote jazz under the name Stan Olson. Um, he was not a guitarist. He was a pianist. And uh, although he wrote a lot for guitar, um, most of it for Andre Segovia, apparently. Um, and in 1932, he played some international con concerts, um, as pianist, one for Emperor Hirohito of Japan and also for Mahatma Gandhi. I thought that was interesting. Um, so yeah. Anything you want to say about Tansman before we get into the music? Well, he's a good composer. I, uh, I haven't heard lots of pieces by him, but I've heard uh, one of the first pieces I heard was, I believe, Suite in Modo Polonico, the Suite in the Polish style. And then the Cavatina, I heard the Preludio about a million times when I was judging the first round of the GFA in, oh, right. uh, in 2005. That was one of the set pieces that everyone had to play. And so I got uh, an earful of that one. And. <laughs> You have chosen something, the the Sarabande, and what else was it? The, the Sarabande, and then I chose an excerpt from the Scherzino. The Scherzino. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about the Scherzino in a minute then. But okay. The Sarabande is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, this this uh, passage that I took from it is uh, really particularly dark and beautiful passage. Um, the counterpoint to me is almost uh, very vocal in nature, almost like Renaissance-like counterpoint. Um, but yeah, just a, a really beautiful section, haunting, dark, and beautiful.
So that was our first selection um, from the Tansman. And uh, we're going to move on to the Scherzino from the same piece. Uh, you said you had something to say about this. Yeah. Uh, it's just that this piece has never made a lot of sense to me, <laughs> the Scherzino. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a piece where it seems like it just keeps jumping from one disconnected thing to another. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Um, you know, it seems like, um, uh, you know, we both taught beginning composition students. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the toughest things I think for beginning composition students is development, you know, developing an idea. So a lot of times they'll come up with an idea and then because they don't know how to develop the idea, they'll just move on to another idea. Then they'll just move on to another idea. So they end up with pieces with forms like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that's kind of what this is like. It it really is. I mean, there is a little bit of uh, recurrence, but it, like the the part at the beginning, I don't know if it ever comes back. Um, well, it actually does, but I think the piece sort of works like, uh, and I have to go back and listen closely for the exact form, but it's kind of something like, you know, A, B, C, D, E, A, B, C, D, E is kind of how it works okay. formally. Um, it's a very strange piece. I mean, it's got yeah. like, three or four really cool ideas, but they don't seem the least bit related to one another. Right. And, um, right, right, so. right. Yeah. So <laughs> what, what I wrote down about this was, um, uh, and, you know, having said all this, I still think it works. I don't know how it works, but I still, in my opinion, I still, I think it works. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, schizino kind of means little joke, right? Yes. And um, that's the sense in which it works maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the the artist playing it would have something to do with that, I think, right. <laughs> trying to make it work. Right. So, I mean, this is not uh, – it's definitely not a theme in variations. Um, but, you know, as we've said, the excerpt goes through this an amazing amount of textures and moods in a very short time. Uh, you know, we start with this tremolo section, which leads into kind of a heroic-sounding section – that gives way to a tense, sequenced section, kind of almost sounding like uh, the music of our next composer, Leo Brower. That's the uh, part I like best, those descending arpeggios yes. on that funny harmony. Yeah, yeah. That's does, my favorite part in the whole movement. Yeah, doesn't it almost sound Brower-esque? It's weird. It does a little bit. And then it busts into that little folk tune kind of Yeah, it busts into this thing. like just total major mode, happy dancing folk, like popular tune. So maybe you can like dub that over for the outtakes at the end. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah, always. Like like what you keep doing with me, like the uh, Culp Karaoke. Um, <laughs> That's right, Culp Karaoke. <laughs> uh, oh, that that should be a re- like a weekly segment on the show, but right, um, right. But uh, yeah, so and then um, after the you know, popular tune, the, you know, happy popular tune, it sort of goes into this cadential figure and then it just kind of starts over with the tremolo coming back. So anyway, this is the first, about about the first half of the scherzino of Alexander Tunsman. (laughs) 
We just heard Thomas Villato playing music by Alexander Tansman. That was the scherzino from his Cavatina. Awesome. So next, um, next is your excerpt, right? Uh, let me see. Let me go back to my the thing. first movement of. Oh right. Yeah. Uh, the Leo Brower piece. Yeah, like you, I had never heard this piece by Brower and never even heard of it. And that's really unusual because Brower is a composer guitarist's love. And it yeah. seems like they would seize on just about anything he wrote and play it a lot. And this is a pretty cool piece. I mean, it, maybe it's not as uh, immediately catchy as El de Camaro Negro or something, but it's a pretty cool piece nonetheless. Yeah, I thought one reason why I'd never heard of it is because I thought, well, maybe it's really new. It's actually not. I think it was premiered in like 93 or something. That's not so, that new, right? Yeah. Seems um, like we would have heard it. But anyway, the part I like about this excerpt is this, um, I say, the insistent ostinato thingy. And um, <clears throat> gosh, to be honest, I can't remember exactly what it sounds like right now. Well, it's first, because I, the piece is so new to me that I. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first, let let me get into a little bit about Brower because um, surprisingly, you know, we've done so many guitar CDs, but we this is the first Leo Brower piece that we've done on the show. Yeah, I know it's it's kind of surprising. Um, so, a little background on Leo Brower. Um, did you know his full? Have you ever seen his full name? Um, maybe not. What is it? It is. Uh, Juan, let me see if I can get this right. Juan Leo Vigildo, Leo Vigildo, Brower. Vigildo? Mi, Leo Vigildo, maybe Juan Leo Vigildo. Oh my God. Man, let me let, look no, this up. Let me see. Juan Leo Vigildo Brower Mesquita. Holy cow. <laughs> Which okay. I ne- I've never okay. heard that before. Leo Vigildo Brower Mesquita. Right. Uh, and he goes by Leo Brower. Okay. So um, he was born March 1st, 1939 in Havana, Cuba. Um, and, uh, you know, when he was young, kind of came to the States to study music. Uh, actually graduated Juilliard, studied um, composition with Vincent Persichetti, which I didn't know. Wow. Um, so, yeah, this piece of Rito de las Orishas. Um, which means right of the Orishas. Orishas, I looked up, is um, Yoruban, which is a West Coastal Africa, for Afro-Cuban deities. So mm-hmm. um, Orishas is these kind of Afro-Cuban deities. Uh, so this is the right of um, of these gods, these Afro-Cuban gods. And uh, this first movement um, is titled something like introduction and conjuring i would say something like that would you agree with that or <laughs> right uh, i gotta find it again uh, sorry i was on my browser let's see uh sorry hang on i don't have the whole title on my media player here uh let's see i i wish i would have written it down um but anyway it's um it's basically introduction and conjuring. I mean, the the uh-huh. actual title is in uh, Spanish, but um, which I think evokes just this sort of rite and uh, ritual of uh, conjuring these gods. I don't know. How, how do you 
how do you well, it's, take it? This is, I guess, it's a um, you know, Afro-Cubanismo kind of piece. You know, he he is um, his music sometimes exhibits this uh, the qualities of Afro-Cubanismo, which is the the celebration of African roots in uh, Cuban music, and, and not just music in in Cuban culture. Uh, this goes back to the 1920s and 30s with poetry and music and whatnot. And so this is um, celebrating some of the the Afro-Cuban religious kinds of um, musical roots of Cuba. Okay. Makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's just listen and, to it. Or, oh, or I was just going to say, okay. the, um, the use of ostinatos like this one that I point out here is something that would be considered an African musical characteristic, you know, where African drumming, for example, is based on... Um, rhythmic ostinatos that are piled one on top of the other to create very complex polyrhythmic textures. And so the, uh, it's not really surprising that in a piece that uh, is trying to uh, evoke this kind of Afro-Cubanism that he would start using ostinatos. Right. Okay, so let's check it out. Um, the first movement of this piece, Rito de los Orishas. So, next excerpt from the same piece, the second movement entitled Danza de las Dioses Negras, which means um, Dance of the Black Goddesses, I think. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, that's right. Um, I don't know. This is um, kind of like El de Cameron 2. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very, very similar. You know, for for those listeners who don't know, he has a a, a more famous piece called El de Cameron Negro, uh, which uh, is based on a book by an anthropologist, right? Um, I don't even know. Yeah, I think it's based on a book by this anthropologist named Leo Frobenius. Don't ask me how I remember this because I don't know. Uh and that's in turn based on the original Decameron by uh, Boccaccio, um, this sort of okay, classical, yes. classical era book. Well, uh, Boccaccio's is from the 12th century. Right. It's Italian. Yeah, so that's Italian. It's a collection of stories uh, told by Italians that have escaped this, the 
plague-ridden cities, plague, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And El Decameron Negro apparently is a collection of stories that were collected by this anthropologist, Leo Frobenius. I don't know what region of Africa they were uh, collected from, but um, they're like short folk stories that he collected from the people there, much like Boccaccio did. And mm-hmm. uh, it's called um, El Decameron Negro or The Black Decameron. Um, so he wrote this piece um, depicting some of these stories that appear in that book. And this piece is uh, very similar in a lot of ways. It's got very similar music, very similar uh, feelings, uh, gestures, all kinds of things to that piece. So it's almost like a, yeah, almost like a sequel to El Decameron <laughs> Negro in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Um, so this excerpt features this sort of repeated dancing sort of groove based rhythm that pops up from time to time. Um, it's got these upward moving arpeggiated gestures, which you hear a lot in El Decameron Negro. Um, and towards the end of the excerpt, uh, you can hear this tamburo playing, which is sort of hitting the strings, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. How would you just sort well, of... Tamburo, it's, it's, some, it's a word for some kind of drum, I think. So it's you know, essentially using the guitar as a percussion instrument, but you can still hear chords and stuff like that. Right. So it's, it's hitting the strings almost like you would hit a drum head um, with your hand. And um, you can hear a lot of, you know, blues and stuff roving into this music. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Anything you want to yeah. say about this? No, I think that's uh, we should just hear it. Okay, let's check it out. Danza de los Diosas Negras. So next excerpt, we're going to talk about Alberto Ginastero's Guitar Sonata, Opus 47. And I kind of debated whether or not we should play anything from this first, because we actually talked about this piece in another Laureate episode, um, which I I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> I can't either. I remember talking about it, though. Yeah. Um, but in one of them, we talked about it. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk about it again and play some different excerpts um, because I think this performance of it is just, it's really fantastic. I mean, the, the other one we talked about was really, really good too. But this performance of it, I kind of feel like this is how it's supposed to go. Hmm. Kind okay. of. Um, you know, like this is really how it's supposed to sound. It's really close to how Hinastera might have heard it in his own head um this is uh the best interpretation of this piece i've heard cool and i really it's it's so good i think i i kind of feel like i haven't really heard it until now um 
you know, which, which can be a, the case with a lot of pieces that are new and especially pieces that are not conventional, you know, as far as maybe not tonally conventional or rhythmically conventional. It takes it can take a long time for people to, you know, the rest of us to figure these things out and, you know, figure mm-hmm. out how they're really supposed to sound. Um, so, yeah. So this one, I think the uh, first excerpt I'm going to play is from the scherzo, the second movement. And, uh, you know, uh, this excerpt kind of sounds like, I don't know, some wild improvisation. Um, it it kind of it can kind of sound random at times, but I still think it sounds like it has a purpose, like an overall purpose. Um, and also, it sounds very—I uh, wrote down in my notes—sounds very gaucho to me. Mm. You know, it has this yeah, well, this, this spirit, this gaucho spirit is almost gaucho machismo strutting it's part spirit. Of the, yeah, it's part of the gauchesco tradition celebrating the Argentine cowboy through the arts there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so we're going to hear uh, just uh, so many techniques used in this. Um, we're going to hear fast scales, fast arpeggios, um, these really fast glissandos kind of up and down the neck. We're going to hear him playing the strings above the neck over the sound hole. So we get these sort of popping mm, yeah. high sort of indeterminate pitch sort of rhythmic things or percussive things um he plays the strings behind the nut of the guitar this is like the little um piece that is up near the tuners and so Mm -hmm. the strings run over it to the tuners he plays the strings you know at, at that place at that spot on it the has a, a very percussive very high pitched sound and it's a little unpredictable as to what pitches you're going to get when you have someone play up there yeah right um so we're going to hear that we're going to hear of course a bunch of rosciados I and mean, this is the f- sort of flamenco uh strumming technique uh we're going to hear bartok pizzicatos this is um it's a technique uh i think invented by bella bartok for uh, bowed string instruments initially, but this is where they basically um, pop the string up with their fingers so it sort of s- pops up and then slams against the fingerboard and creates this pizzicato <laughs> slap sort of effect, right? Sort of rhythmic effect. Yes, it, it's, it makes the uh, string ricochet off the fingerboard. It, it sounds like the player is abusing his or her instrument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, it can be a little unsettling if you've never heard that before. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, we're going to hear that. We're going to hear more of his fantastic harmonics. We're going to hear um, string dampening, you know, with the right hand. And then um, after the big Roschietto climax, we're going to hear this this very tasty string bend, which you don't really get to hear very often in classical music. You hear it, of course, mm-hmm. all the time in rock and blues and stuff, but not very often in classical guitar music. Um, and yeah, he, he of course does all this flawlessly, um, while maintaining this continuous intensity. And sometimes it's a very quiet intensity, but even during the moments where it's very quiet, it's still very intense. Yeah. It might've been easier just to say the things we're not going to hear. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So you got all that? Did you, you know, take notes out there for everything you can hear? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, here it is, the scherzo from Hinastera's Sonata. forgotten there was so much stuff in that piece yeah i mean it's it's uh it's a, a crazy barn burner piece. it sounds like <laughs> it yeah it really is it really is a barn burner um so the next one is uh taken from the finale of the same piece of hinastera and uh again you know this this piece is a really gaucho you know almost fandango-ish um feeling very exciting, very rocking, you know. Um, at the end, uh, he does things like, you know, he augments the rhythm of all these rasquiados by knocking on the guitar, you know, with the with his fist, uh, creating, you know, rhythms, almost drum-like mm-hmm. rhythms. Um, and this movement, you know, is really, uh, it's kind of unbridled or, or kind of, you know, with with abandon kind of uncaged feeling um and thomas he doesn't quite get that wild with it but um you know just like the other movements you know he maintains the intensity intensity is always there which is yeah awesome so anything you want to say about this before we roll it um no all right so here's the finale of alberto hinesteras um sonata for guitar Thank you. 
oh, so the last couple are. Yeah, all these are yours. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So uh, I don't even have to. I I don't even necessarily have to talk about each one very much individually because they kind of have similar features. Are we recording again already? Well, I mean, we're. I know. I don't stop it, but. So, um, well, we can start by talking about Dean's. Now, I had no idea that you had this personal experience with him. So, do you want to? Yeah. You want to tell us about that? Well, I met him maybe two or three years ago when he came to Lafayette and played a concert here. And um, he, the first night he was here, he went out to dinner with me and our guitar professor Jeffrey George. And we took him over to the Blue Dog Cafe and had a nice dinner. He was a very nice guy, um, kind of soft-spoken. And um, he was really interested in hearing Cajun French, since I live in Cajun country. Uh Was there a Zydeco band there? Because, again, that's all they have there, right? Well, there was no band playing at the cafe. Oh, okay. Uh, Zydeco and Cajun (laughs) are a bit different, but I'm not going to... I'm not qualified and, you know, not really able to get into the subtleties of the two genres. Um, but anyway, we had a, a nice time. But what I remember most was uh, when Jeff and I went over to pick him up at the hotel. We were just waiting for him. And then suddenly he appeared in the lobby, and he was dressed in pink from head to toe. Oh, wow. Like pink pants and a pink T-shirt with some picture on it. I don't know, and I think it might have even been... I don't know, maybe yellow or pink shoes. Maybe his shoes weren't some funny color, but uh, it was very striking. And he's got this kind of long hair, you know. Did somebody <laughs> tell him that he's he was in the South? Did you guys tell him that? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it was really, really striking. <laughs> but um, he was a very nice guy, and he, he played a concert that was good. Uh, and like I said before, it was the, the difficulty I had with it was hearing him as well as I would like to have because he plays kind of quietly. So I, I kind of wish he had been mic'd, and I'd been able to hear him better. <laughs> and um, as a composer, I like many of his pieces. There's one piece of his that I've never liked very much that the guitarists around here all seemed to play incessantly when I first moved here, and uh, they stopped doing that. But this piece I really like. And, uh, you know, the first piece of his I think I ever heard was Tango and Sky, or maybe Aquarelle, one of those pieces Adam Holtzman played. Right. Um, all the time and uh, Tango and Sky is a great great piece and uh, this one is is really interesting as well I had never heard it before and um, it's it's good I mean it what I, I think if I had to use one word to describe it it would probably be colorful he gets really great colors out of the instrument and almost orchestral and in I chose three excerpts from it um so the, like the last bit of track number 12, uh, the first movement, <clears throat> what I um, what really struck me in there was the extremely low bass notes, like way, way lower than you ought to be able to hear on a guitar. Right. And yeah, I figured it out. He's got the sixth string tuned down to A. A. Which is... Um, an octave below the fifth string. Yeah, and a, and a whole fifth below where it usually is. Holy cow! Um, yeah, so that's that's it's very low. Extremely low. low. 
very, very low, and it's a really striking sound. It, I think there were a couple of times before this excerpt of mine begins where those bass notes appeared, but at least in this recording, they're played very quietly, and you can, you can kind of feel it more than you can hear it. But here you start to, to uh, be able to hear the bass notes very clearly. And it just, uh, for somebody who's a guitarist, who knows what the instrument normally does, this is really striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and this um, the main motive here is made of pretty much made of harmonics, right? Um, it's beautiful, you know. This first movement is called light motif, which is a ha 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 pun. <laughs> um, and in parentheses, Takamitsu ao Brasil. I, I'm mm. ta- I'm guessing this means Takamitsu in Brazil. Yeah. Um, so this refers to. Um, the Japanese composer Toru Takamitsu, and I didn't look up his information. I, I don't remember when he died. Um, early nineties, something like that. I think it was. I think it was around nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Um, and Takamitsu, um, you know, specialized in this very uh, colorful music. Now, Takamitsu's music was much more tonally ambiguous than this. Yes. But you can hear kind of a lot of the ideas, a lot of these gestures and all of the, a lot of these very soft, colorful um, harmonies with all the harmonics and things that you can see. Mm-hmm. This is a nod to Takamitsu. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, this part I, I, I note, especially the low notes, but also incredibly beautiful colors after that. And then I say a big, ugly chord at the end. And <laughs> Right. I don't recall exactly what the chord sounds like, but <laughs> well, it's almost like you know Takamitsu is there creating this beautiful music for a serene Japanese garden, and all of a sudden, in the end, Jimi Hendrix jumps in, <laughs> you know, into the garden. <laughs> but um, yeah, so let's listen to uh, this movement, the first movement of Roland Dion's Triac. Is that how you would say this? Triac. Oh, I don't know. Triac. I guess it's spelled T R I A E K. So, however you would I say, I thought that. it was Triella. I'm sorry, Triella. You're right, Triella. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, Triella. <laughs> the first <laughs> movement, light motif, Takamitsu ao Brasil. Next excerpt uh, from the second movement of Triela, Black Horn, and then in parentheses, When Spain Meets Jazz. That's the title. Yeah. Um, now, you know, we, we talked about the sixth string being tuned down to A, 
And I think through my uh, research of the show and the piece, I think the reason that it's tuned down to A is something from the third movement, which I'll talk about when we get to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my theory. But anyway, this this movement. um, Yeah. What do you what do you think about this movement? Well, I just like how there's like several disparate elements that are appearing and then he kind of gradually brings them together to form a really groovy ostinato. That's what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah, it grew. <laughs> I mean, it really grooves, right? Um it grooves, it rocks, it gets into this um groovy rhythm and yeah. Yeah, it it's cool. I mean, you can hear little bits and pieces of it uh sort of disjointed and then gradually you see what he has in mind as they're bit by bit brought together to create this really cool groove i like that awesome yeah i like it too so let's hear it um second movement black horn when spain meets jazz So now the third and final excerpt of the show uh, from the same piece, Roland Dian's Traela, Clown Down, Gismonti al Cirque, or I think this means Gismonti at the Circus. Looks uh, like it. And uh, this is referring to Egberto Gismonti, uh, the Brazilian uh, sort of multi-talented composer and musician, um, multi-instrumentalist. Uh, and, um, I mean, this guy is just crazy prolific. Have you, have you, do you know much about this guy? I don't. Is, is he a bossa nova guy or is he a classical thing? I really don't know. He's kind of an everything guy. I mean, he, um, he, like I said, he plays multiple instruments. He, a lot of times plays this 10 string classical guitar, Oh, um, that that he has modified and played with over the years and come up with his own tuning and own sort of stringing system. So basically, Love the, that. Um, the you know I think the top six strings are, are kind of normal, and then um, string seven is actually a treble string. So he uses it for melodic Whoa. stuff. String eight is tuned to A, um, oh. just like this piece. String nine. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, Yeah. string nine is another treble string. It's tuned to G, just like the third string. And string 10 is tuned to F, like a low F, almost an octave um, below the 
the normal low string on a guitar. There's a wow. fantastic video that I'm going to link in the show notes of Gismonti um, kind of talking about this guitar. Of course, he's talking in uh, in Portuguese, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what he's saying, but you can tell that he's, you know, he's talking about his guitar and he's talking about his music, and then he goes into this improvisation on the guitar. And a lot of what you'll hear in this improvisation is very close to this movement. Hmm. Um, you know, yeah, the movement starts with this, you know, this, this sort of repeated low bass note. And mm-hmm. then we have these sort of, you know, punctuated chords and harmonics. I mean, you're going to hear all that very similarly in just this one improvisation of Gismonti that I found. So this is obviously, you know, a very strong nod to Gismonti, very um, heavily influenced. And he, uh, Gismonti also plays piano. And he plays, you know, wind instruments and all this stuff. And he's, um, of course, composed classical music. He's uh, plays in these sort of groups that are kind of jazz-based or Brazilian music-based groups. He's composed for film. He's composed for theater. Mm. He's, you know, he's just all over the place and just unbelievably prolific musician. Um, So, uh, yeah, anyway... That's pretty cool. I mean, without even knowing any of that, um, what struck me was um, something you mentioned earlier about um, intensity and how um, this guitarist, even in like quiet moments, had this intensity. That's really what struck me here, too, with this, um, the bass note. um, It's like amazingly quiet, but steady, like... Uh, I mean, it's a little bit hard to hear, but it's there, very insistent, really intense, and like perfectly executed. It's not easy to play that quiet and that like steady and and perfect. Um, yeah, it it's just a really cool sounding piece. It's got all these uh, uh, bass note ostinatos. It's got beautiful chords happening above it, um, staccato notes kind of coming out of uh, thin air. Um, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, after the show, when the show gets posted and on the website, you should go and watch this video of Gismonti because you're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, I know where he got it from now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Um, So I'd um, recommend everybody watch that and just, you know, at the very least, learn about this guy, you know, Egberto Gismonti, who is, um, you know, if you – lived in South America or maybe parts of Europe, you would know who this guy was, but, um, really he's, he's not very known up here, but, um, Mm -hmm. he should be because he's, he's an, uh, he's an incredible musician. So definitely going to check that out. Yeah. Um, so here it is the last movement of Dean's triella, uh, I keep wanting to say triac because my handwriting <laughs> is so freaking bad. I can't even read it. Um, <laughs> Traela, uh, clown down, Gismonti al Cirque. Thank you. 
Okay. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to eat some lunch, man. Yeah, me too. So, um, well, thanks again for doing another right. episode, man. It was, yeah, thanks. That was fun. It was, it was fun once again. So, and we'll have to uh, at least do one more of these this summer. So, I'm actually cool. um, uh, doing another Laureate series here pretty soon, but on, on a on cello. And mm-hmm. I'm actually doing it with um, the cello professor here. Cool. So that should be interesting. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll look forward to that one coming in. Has it been a while since you released any episodes? Yeah, I mean, I released one in March. And okay. uh, that's that's the only... And then I released this, you know, very short um, ACP Idol retrospective because I, I ran this sort of contest yeah. on the website, but um, that wasn't a real episode. So I've, yeah, I've really only released one real episode this year so far. So Okay. I just um, want to make sure I wasn't all behind with yeah, them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking to release as many as I can this summer, so... Yeah. Yep. All right, man. Well, thank you. All right. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right, man. Okay. Later. Later. Bye-bye. And that does it for this week's All the Cool Parts. We'd like to thank Dr. Jonathan Culp again for coming on and doing another show with us. And uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but you can visit John on his website at jonathanculp.com. Uh, his last name is spelled K-U-L-P, jonathanculp.com. And you can visit us on the web at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. You can visit me on the web at anthonyjosephlandman.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash anthonylandman. And you can add me on Facebook and and join our group on Facebook, All the Cool Parts on Facebook. Like it. Um, so that does it for this week. And uh, since it's summertime and I'm done with teaching, I'm hoping to pump more of these out uh, more frequently this summer and uh, we'll have a lot of exciting stuff already lined up for this summer some really cool interviews and uh, different kinds of shows other shows returning series like this one Um, so look out for those and I will see you guys next time later
Hey, performers, performing ensembles, and composers. All the Cool Parts podcast wants your music for All the Cool Parts Idol. If you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording and you'd like All the Cool Parts podcast to share it with the world, please email sound files and other details to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. Help me share your music with the world. All the Cool Parts Podcast is brought to you by classical guitar luthier Tomas Barobia, maker of the cutting-edge triple-core composite top classical guitar. Powerful volume, world-class tone, and exceptional playability all in one guitar. For more information and free sound samples, visit his website at www.latticeguitar.com.